It's 4 o'clock on a Monday, and you know what that means, don't you? It's time for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live. <laughs> oh, man, I seem to be getting worse at this with time. Uh, with this week's special guest, Mr. Craig Pilo. Taxi's head screener. So we are going to do Q&A with you guys um, questions for Craig, questions for me. We will answer everything that we can. Hope everybody had a great weekend. Um, let me see. Just double check, make sure we are, in fact, broadcasting. And yep, there, there we, we are. are. All right. All systems are go. Um, and a nice plug for Criteria Studios, my alma mater, right there. Anyway, uh, so I'm going to take care of the questions that we got before the show because those people were nice enough to send them in. And then we'll move on to taking some questions from the chat room as well. But uh, now you guys behave yourselves. David Berube, haven't seen you in a while. Good to see you in there. All right. So the first question is from Doug McCafferty. Uh, ooh, it's a two-parter. Put your thinking cap on. All right, I'll pay attention. All right. I just randomly ran into a famous songwriter that I won't name. Now, come on, man. If you're going to run into a famous songwriter, mention the name. My daughter, when she was 15 or 16, walks out from uh, LAX and sees Ed Sheeran lighting up a cigarette right in front of the airport. She walks up and go, walks up to him and goes, Hi, Ed. Hannah DeFore. She went by a different last name because she was embarrassed to be related to me. Hannah DeFore, singer-songwriter. Nice to meet you. And he sat there and chatted around. Perfect. Yeah. Anyway, Doug writes, I just randomly ran into a famous songwriter. I don't care about Michael Lasko's daughter's story that I won't name for major artists who kindly critiqued one of my songs and called it atmospheric. This is quotes with a great <clears throat> cool vibe and vocals. End of quote. That would per a great fit for sync i think be a great fit for sync film tv commercials movies and, and whatever do i have to wait for the perfect listing in order for me to submit it for a taxi sync consideration um you want to take this one sure i'm here go for it i would think absolutely uh you you want to improve your pitch accuracy as much as possible give yourself every possible advantage if that song or cue or whatever was played for that songwriter is as good as what they say um, you know, try to match it to a client that needs exactly what they have. And, um, you know, again, read the listing, make sure there's no red flags in it, make sure your instrumentation is uh, consistent. If there's a duration requirement, you know, make sure you're in the ballpark. Um, and absolutely. Um, but yeah, I would not just upload it to any old listing at the first opportunity you get. I would make sure that it's consistent with the references and probably the listing heading that 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 our listing writing team is meticulous about making sure it reflects what the clients want so wow, you want to make is pulling out the big words today oh yeah it was four syllables i was uh i got my thesaurus <laughs> right before we logged on so oh man well i'm gonna disagree a little bit with you and here's why uh, he nothing he said is inaccurate or wrong but something I've seen from 32 years of running the company is that people will take a song and pitch it over and over for listing after listing after listing, trying to cram a square peg into a round hole, especially because somebody said, this is a really good song. It'd be good for film and TV. Everything Craig said is 100% right. If you're going to pitch it, pitch it for the right <clears throat> thing. Don't get new memberitis, which is 
often um, exemplified or manifested by people going, well, it does have this aspect of what the listing is looking for, uh, but it doesn't have enough of the aspects, but in their mind, it's so good and they love it so much that they can't imagine that somebody on the listing end wouldn't feel the same way and excuse the fact that it doesn't have many of the elements that they need in a song for that scene. And then it becomes head screener's problem when they write and say, the screener didn't forward this, even though the listing asked for country songs with a male vocal. Right. So how do you deal with that? Well, it's hard not to get personally attached to what you create, right? Because you spend so much time doing it. You spend so much time listening to it. And in your head, you've got all these perfect scenarios for what it's going to be synced to. But again, sometimes that can be detached from what the actual person placing it has in their head. So, you know, again, back to the pitch accuracy thing, you have to make sure that you're providing the client with what it is they want, not what you want to provide them with. You guys are hearing us, right? <laughs> because I don't see anybody going, hey, Michael, hey, Craig. Uh, They're you, talking to each other. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we are so fascinating. Yeah. Um, yes, we can. Okay, okay good. Great. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And Doug McCafferty has a second question in which he asks, for listing seeking new songs for an existing artist, if a submission is a great fit and fully representative of what the artist could make their own, but it's not submitted in broadcast quality, is it declined? So this is an artist pitch, not a film and TV. Um, again, I'm going to defer to you on that. Uh, probably, I would say no. I, I mean, uh, demos are perfectly acceptable for something like that. But that being said, let me put a disclaimer on that, that it still needs to be clear enough that they can represent your intentions. Um, you know, a, a guitar track with a vocal on an iPhone might be okay if you just wrote the best hook ever and we can instantly recognize it as a hit. That is something that will probably get passed on. But if you're just fluttering around on the guitar, there's no real arrangement, there's no sectional divide, you didn't really think about the arrangement, you're giving the, the A&R people too much credit. They're not going to write the song and finish it for you. Um, they're not going to take what you did and completely rewrite the chords, the lyrics, the form, the beginning, the ending. I mean, there has to be enough there to represent the intention of your work. So I think a lot of people get jammed up with the idea of submitting demos. It still needs to be, you know, uh, produced well. The arrangement needs to be solid. And most important, if you're writing for a modern artist, I mean, the hook needs to pretty much jump off the page at us. But if all those things are in place, sure, I would think a demo is just fine, you know. And he asked specifically about broadcast quality. It doesn't matter most of the time. We are living in a different age. I used to always say in the early days of Taxi, like Taxi's 32 years old now, and maybe the first half of Taxi's life, um, people in the industry would typically take a demo. Um, I mean, look, if you're a hit songwriter in Nashville and you've got friends all over the place and hell of a reputation, and if you just do a guitar vocal demo into your iPhone, there are people that would take it from you because of who you are and what you've previously accomplished. And they've got ears that would allow them to hear how it's going to sound when a Nashville rhythm section records it. In the pop world, people have gotten so good with their home studios that the demos they make are really closer to masters. People in the industry generally aren't going to say, this sounds like a hit, 
but the guitar sound is crap, therefore I'm not going to cut it. So broadcast quality is a film and TV thing. That means it needs to be ready to go as is so that they could slug it into a scene on a TV show or put it in, in a film. Um, best thing you can do is look at the taxi listings. Oftentimes they'll say that they are willing to accept demos. But Craig is once again absolutely right in that even a demo, a guitar vocal demo, just has to, a good solid acoustic guitar sound and a good vocal delivery that really sells the emotion and the meaning of the song is actually more important than having, you know, like 10K boosted on your vocal or the compressor set just right. They're looking for, does this sell the song? Could I play this for the artist I'm producing? Could I play it for the artist I'm A&Ring? Could I play it for the artist I'm managing? And when they hear it, would they go, I can hear myself doing that. That's your goal is to get the artist that you ultimately want to have cut your song, be able to hear why it's a hit for him or her. I did really good, huh? That makes sense. <laughs> yeah. You've, been, you've done this more than once. I, think. I have, a couple times. Um, I, I love doing these things. I love doing these shows, actually. I, I really miss doing the um, quarantine happy hours that I, I didn't care if I messed up. The audience didn't care if I messed up. Just and, hanging out. Yeah. yeah, we were. And it was so much fun. And a lot of really good information came out of those shows. Um Here's one that I'd like to answer and then have you elaborate on. Are screeners required to listen to the entire song before providing their critique? Um, I invented the critiquing process here with a lot of help from a guy named John Brahaney, who sadly is no longer with us, um, wrote a great songwriting book and was loved and respected by all. Uh, and the rule of thumb that he taught me, because he was really my, my mentor back in the early days of Taxi, well, nobody needs to listen to a 40-second outro with a fade to critique a song. They need to listen to all the elements. They need to, and we're talking songs, not film TV here. Songs for other artists or artists that are trying to get signed to a label. Um, back then, we would tell the screeners you need to listen to the intro, obviously, to determine if it's too long or if it's appropriate for the song. Sometimes people use intros that just don't even sound like the rest of the song. So intro, verse, chorus, and the bridge. So we would bottom line it as you need to listen to as far as the bridge because that way you've heard all the elements of the song. That said, most of the screeners would start writing as soon as the song would play because they were in the intro. And if they noticed that the intro meandered or was too long, they would make a note about that right then and there. Um, Craig comes from more of a film and TV background and, and obviously deals with members' questions about what the screeners have done. So, and was a screener for several years um, and has many, many of his own things in libraries. So he knows what he's talking about. <clears throat> film and TV is his thing. What, how did the screeners listen now? Do we require them to listen to the whole thing well, the songs is more along the lines of what 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 you said, but as far as about uh, film the and film TV? and TV, I would think for um, for most of the ones that are two minutes long, they it probably takes them at least that long to write the critique. So mm -hmm. most of those are getting listened to I start to finish. At least two minutes, yeah, yeah. So most of those um, are listened to start to finish, um, and 
you know, again, if, if they're still on the fence about something, they may go back and listen to it a second time. I mean, most of the time, I think two minutes is enough to give it a full on listen and write something meaningful in the critique. But with film and TV, contrary to the to the thing, I actually do want to hear the ending right. reverb drop off on the end. Absolutely. Because, uh, you know, we've had people comment about that. Um, libraries go, hey, make sure the ending is good. Yep. Uh, make sure it's got an A section and a B section, or make sure it doesn't have a B section, whatever the listing says. We have to listen for those kinds of things. Well, make um, sure the ring out's not cut off. Make sure the ring out's not cut off. Make whatever, sure your, yeah. tr- your transitions from your sections are cohesive. If you've got edit points, they need to sound natural, not, not like... Not like you did this cue and it. Watch looks, the hands on the desk, please. Oh, uh, what's you're going? Oh, my drumming. Yeah, no, my you're drumming. not drumming. You're hitting the desk right by the mic, just oh. while you're talking. Um, so <laughs> if the if you if you finish a track and it looks like a brick and you go, oh my god, I forgot to put edit points, and you go just jam into edit points with no continuity or cohesiveness, if that's a word. Um, it is. You definitely we we listen to those kinds of things um, and. Um, an ending, if it looks like it's cut off, well, okay, that would have like a right side with a perfect vertical angle. Is it really cut off or is it a button ending? Is it So you want to listen to it just to make sure that your eyes aren't deceiving you because nobody wants, you don't want to, you don't want us to listen to your track with our eyes. You want us to actually listen to it. So, but my point is if something doesn't look right, go listen to it and make sure that what you're seeing is, is correct. Absolutely. <clears throat> For those of you who are asking questions right now, I'm first going to take the questions from the people that took the time to send them in before the show. And then, so right now I'm just watching them scroll by, copy them, save them in a, uh, you know, in a Word doc or something. Um, uh, and we will get to answering stuff from the, the chat room. Um, what genres do you personally screen? Well, Craig doesn't really, he screens the screeners right now. His job is to, answer questions from members that don't understand something a screener may have said in a critique, or maybe somebody who has an issue with what the screener felt. Um, So he's not actively screening, but he does check all of their work. So he's got to have highly developed screener ears. But when you were still screening at Taxi, what were your preferred genres that we mostly put you on? Um, I would screen jazz. I would screen hip-hop. First of all, pretty much anything instrumental I would screen. For film and TV. For film and TV, that is correct. Um, I would do sometimes do the trailers. Obviously, the, the percussion instrumentals came to my lap. I'm not sure why. Because you're uh, a drummer. <laughs> he is like a first-call, highly-skilled drummer. So a lot of the stomp, clap, percussive, uh, drumline, any of that kind of stuff, which you can hear me drumming near the near the microphone. Yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of that stuff would come my way. But again, I also, um, anything that was kind of instrumental um, that they needed before, I and if, I, and if I wasn't really comfortable, I would either tell Tom, hey, I don't think this is my wheelhouse, or I would do what you guys need to do, which is just really dive more into the references. And if there was three references there, and I didn't feel like I knew enough about the genre from those three references, I would Google the title into YouTube and check out a bunch more by that artist or similar artist to make sure I really understood the concept um, of the of the listing, and one of those one of those areas is kind of hip hop. You know, like there's a lot of different subgenres in hip hop that a lot of people don't get. You know, the the trap hi hat elements puts it into one category. The the boom tap kind of beats put it into another. So there's a lot of things you can you can teach yourself just by diving deeper into the references, which again is something I spend a lot of time with members to try to help us all just get where we need to be as far as interpreting the listings. Something that you guys don't know. Um, (laughs) 
Is that Pace Friedman? Um, no self-aggrandizing, self-promoting uh, things in the chat room, please. Um, especially in all caps. Just rude, rude, rude. Anyway, <laughs> you guys, maybe I've mentioned this before, maybe I haven't. But, you know, it, it's not unusual for us to go above and beyond in ways that you never see behind the scenes at Taxi. A couple of recent examples is... We, no, you don't put the whole question all caps. You put the word question in caps so it pops out. And save your questions for when we're taking questions from the chat, please. I appreciate that. So anyway, we just did a thing, I don't know, 10 days ago with probably 15 to 20 of our screeners where we all get together. We used to do it in a private room at a family style pizza place, but then COVID just killed that. So no problem, Pace. Uh, anyway, now we, we did it online. And it's like a taxi tune-up, you know, where um, each of us takes a little time to talk to the screeners about issues. Um, and they talk to each other. Maybe a screener brings up something that they've run into that other screeners go, oh, wow, you know, I, I've had that issue too. So we do all this to keep them fresh involved, engaged with you to help them always remember that they're not your school mom wagging a finger going, Johnny, you didn't do it the right way. They are your mentor and your friend trying to give you advice that will help you progress further. Then after we did that, maybe a week or 10 days after that, we do a Zoom meeting. Um, we're, we've done two of them now. I think we're gonna start doing them once a quarter with, with our clients. And, you know, we got a pretty good turnout. I think we had like 15 or 16 different music library CEOs all in one Zoom together. They've really enjoyed it a lot. Um, and so we do stuff like that to keep ourselves fresh, to keep ourselves thinking about you, to try and see the perspective um, from all sides, the, the library client side, the screener side. And I bring this up because there's some things, new things we're thinking about adding at Taxi, and I want to do one with you guys, and I'm not sure if I'm going to do it in the form of a Taxi TV where I'm seeing suggestions in the chat room, or if I'm going to do it with a Zoom, we'd have to cap it at 100 people because our Zoom, our level of Zoom only goes <clears> up to 100 people, and I don't want to spend like $1,000 for one Zoom. Um, anyway, we'll keep you posted, but there's some things that we're doing, and uh, or that we are considering doing and I won't do them until we get your input. There's also something behind the scenes that I see a lot that I that I'm only privy to now that I'm in the same room as the rest of the A&R guys but how meticulous you guys are writing those listings and stuff and you and how much effort you guys really put in and I'm not part of that and I'm not just stroking you guys but I'm in the same room as watching it happen um, but it's um, the amount of effort that you guys go in to be accurate um, and to adequately reflect the needs of the client mm -hmm. Is, is really impressive. And I, I, I just hope the members don't take that for, for granted, um, how you guys sit there and scrutinize each other's work and go, okay, maybe this listing would be better. Let's say it like this. Wait, what did the client want? Okay, this is a better reference for what the client wanted. Wait, this is what they actually said. And it's, it's a lot more meticulous than the members think. Those listings aren't just slapped together. They don't just appear 
Um, they're written as meticulously as possible. Meticulously word? Yes, yeah. it is. Wow, I'm doing good with my vocabulary today. Um, five five I know, syllables. It's, it's that huge. Yeah, i huge. My, my grammar school teacher would be really, <laughs> really proud of me today. Um, but my point is, is that the goal is to help the members get closer uh, to, to put as give you guys as much information as possible to get it right when you're submitting. And it's really nice to see that. It's really reassuring that behind the scenes, I can personally witness uh, and attest to this because I'm not actually part of the listing writing process. But you process. are in the room. The, the other That's guys correct. involved. Yeah, it's around me. Uh, but Within it's, 10 feet of him. Correct. So he hears all of it. Yeah, yeah, and it's just nice to see that firsthand the effort that goes into trying to get it right for you guys, the members, to submit. So those listings are written very carefully. Uh, they try to give you as much information as they can to get it right. And um, I can attest to that. You know, it's, it's really impressive to see. Well, thank you for bringing that up. Um, I hope people believe what Craig just said they should. Uh, you guys really have no idea. And it's funny because there have been many, many companies that have tried to copy Taxi over the years. And I think that they have gone out of business because they didn't realize how much work goes into it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, when a listing comes in, it first goes to Tom, who is the head of A&R, um, senior director of A&R here. And he will ask them, so do you have any references? Excuse me, if they do, then they send them over and maybe they've got one or two. And we add one or two more that are very much in line with those references. If they don't have a reference, Tom is liable to say in the, in the email exchange or phone call, um, so you're talking about a song like this or a track like that. No, not really. Oh, okay, but you said you wanted this genre. Oh, that reference really isn't that genre. It's really called that genre. So we go through this back and forth with them to make sure that they understand what they're looking for and we understand what they're looking for. Then it goes to a person. Tom fills all this stuff into a back-end database. Then it gets picked up by the next person who actually writes the listing. And that person probably does some copy and paste. If it's for a company we've worked with a bunch, the boilerplate deal, the deal points, points are going to yeah. be the same. Um, maybe the opening line is going to be the same, but with a different genre pasted in. So they take what they can because it's just faster and probably more accurate to take something that's been perfected in their previous listings, put it in the new one. Then after that person does their we thing. We send it to the beard. The, <laughs> Eric, <laughs> the beard. I didn't know he had that nickname. Um, and then Eric goes through it looking for problematic issues on any level. And then after Eric goes through it, it goes back to Tom Um after Tom is done with it, it comes to me. I literally see 100% of every single listing that goes out the door here. And I look through it and go, that could have been said more clearly. I'm a, I'm a marketing, I love writing marketing stuff. Part of writing for marketing is literally writing for clarity so that anybody could understand it. And you have to really put yourself in the shoes of the reader. So nobody's got more experience with taxi members than I do. And I look at it and go, if I were a member, I, I think that this is a little ambiguous. I think we mm -hmm. should clarify. That's what Craig is talking about. Yep. I come down, their office is in a fairly large room, probably 15 feet by 25 feet with three desks in it. It used to be the room where I had all the, <clears throat> the cubicles for the screeners when they worked physically in the building. There's a couch in there. And I go sit on the couch and I go, guys, I'm... Uh, um, 
right, uh, reading this listing, and I don't know if that word is really the right way to say it, or this sentence really conveys what we're looking for. So he's absolutely right. We, we go through a lot to make sure. And then after I'm done with it, it goes back to the person that puts it up in the email program and formats it and gets the, the headline, the subject line, um, all that stuff correct. And they may actually still see typos or little flaws that I made. So it goes through, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six steps just on the actual writing of the listing before it goes out the door. I think all in all, a listing has something like 16 steps that it goes through from the time we get that first phone call or email until the day you get the forward or return notice in your mailbox and the client gets the resultant. There, there's my big word for the day, resultant. Wow. Um, are there any pics of the taxi building and offices? It's an office uh, building. Yeah. You know what? I, I did a walk around. There's actually a taxi TV episode where I took the laptop and walked around and visited everybody. Um, anyway, uh, so yeah, we do. And I'm grateful that you brought that up. We put a lot of effort into it. Um, our taxi, this is a great one. Um, you know, and I'm glad that you asked this. Uh, these are all from one person. Wow, this is all from Doug McCafferty? Doug, nice. get a life. Uh, <laughs> yeah. How no, no, time? We're, no, we're grateful for the questions. <laughs> we are, I'm, yeah. I'm kidding you. Um, anyway, are the taxi screeners allowed to submit to taxi listings? And if so, how is favoritism addressed? Well, the screeners all get forwards and you guys don't. <laughs> I am joking. Answer that question, please. Are the screeners allowed to submit? Absolutely not. Yeah. No. Um, no, and they're also not allowed to reach out to the company that we run the listings for. So they couldn't look at the, the back-end system. I don't even know if they can get into They can't that. even see who the client is. They only see the description. They, only, they see the same description the members do. Okay, great. So they're all working from that same, that was the other thing that helped us uh, work on the consistency right. of the critique. Um, yeah, they see the exact same listing that the members see when they're screening. And there is a non-disclosure thing that they sign when they first become a, a staff member or an independent contractor that forbids them from taking any proprietary information like the name of the company and then, you know, calling on their cell phone from the parking lot when, when they finish going, hey, I got the perfect thing for mm -hmm. that. So you're not competing. I mean, obviously, we had to think about that. We don't want our staff or our screeners competing with our members, I wouldn't want to do business with that company. Mm -hmm. So thank you for asking that. Um, why are some listings only seeking songs that are recorded between certain years? Let's, you start out and maybe I'll jump in on this one. Yeah, you probably could answer this better than I do, but we do work with several clients who have a very large catalog of vintage music. And a lot of times when they're working on a genre-specific pro, uh, sorry, not genre-specific, an era-specific project, let's say they're doing an 80s period piece, or they're doing a piece now and somebody in the movie or TV show has a flashback to the 80s. Everybody's got their mullet and their Trans Am. <laughs> um, they need to have a piece of music that was recorded during that time. And a lot of times with these catalogs, um, they want it 
copy, you know, recorded during and copywritten during that time for verification purposes. They don't want something newer that's made to sound old uh, for a lot of the clients. Um, uh, And again, they they pride themselves on being era specific. And for them, the authenticity is important. I mean, think about a Quentin Tarantino film or something, right? I mean, they want that, they need that sound to go with it. Now, some libraries um, will accept newer music that's made to sound old. And I know the tape simulation and the way things are mixed um, with some of the capabilities inside the modern DAWs, and a lot of you are very good engineers. Um, so some some will accept newer music that, that's made to be sound old, but some won't. Um, and I know a lot of the clients that we have are getting uh, really interested in that vintage sound and that vintage music. So it's important to, again, read the details in the listing. Sometimes it has to be from that time period. Sometimes as long as it sounds like that time period. But I would think, again, listing specific there is going to be your guide. Um, I love talking about this subject Uh there is one company, and for those of you who know the company, don't mention in the chat room because <clears throat> people see these videos that sure. aren't, aren't, aren't taxi members. Um, I have tremendous respect for the person that runs that. There, there's one publisher that has been doing vintage music for probably 25 years or more, and they are deadly serious about the quality of the music that they put out and really, really honorable, hardworking people. Everybody, every single taxi member that's ever signed a deal with them, I think has reached out to us after the fact to say, boy, thank you for hooking me up with them. So that said, why do they want stuff that is authentically from a certain era? Well, let's say that we're watching a movie uh, during the Vietnam War era, like 1968 to 72-ish. Um, Led Zeppelin, the Guess Who. Jefferson Airplane. Yeah. Yeah. So now you've got a scene where some guys just got home from the war. It sounds like I'm, I'm rewriting Fourth of July, Born on the Fourth of July. And, and that person comes home and he's going to a party with a bunch of pot-smoking hippies drinking wine and hanging out listening to music. You need some atmospheric music playing in the background. Um, it's unlikely that they're going to license six big hit songs from that era because that would be ridiculously expensive. So they may, the first song might be a song you would instantly recognize. Then they want other stuff from that era that plays in the background underneath dialogue. And it's so low that you can't really tell what it is, but it sounds authentic. Why? Because it was written in that era when people wrote melodies in a different way, the vocals were treated differently back then, certainly the engineering and production were treated differently, and this company will actually sign stuff that was done back in that time period, maybe on a TAC 4 track, because that's all that existed back then. They have people that work in their company that are really, really good at cleaning up audio, but they don't clean it up to the point where it sounds modern like today's engineering and production because that would kill the vibe. So they would rather have something be not so great, but if the writing and the style of the singing and the type of song all adds up to sounding authentic because it is authentic, that's what they want. And it is their marketing hook to be able to say to every single music supervisor in the industry, Everything you will ever hear from us was recorded, written and recorded back in the time period that you're asking for. 
and that has worked out fantastically well for them. Other libraries have seen how well they've done. And they're jumping on board. And they are yeah. jumping on board, and they're being a little looser. Not that that's so bad, but they're being a little looser because these other guys with the A-plus company would tell you it's really, really, really hard to find music from an era. Let's go back to the Vietnam War era thing again. Um, somebody's got a song called Purple Bunny Rabbit, um, and it's a psychedelic rock song. Um, and it was done by that member's band in 1971 in a garage studio on a TAC 4 track. And it sounds like it, and it's kind of perfect for that whole vibe. But the guy who co-wrote it passed away five years ago. And he got divorced before he passed away. So the only existing will gives his ex-wife, who's now his ex-wife, um, the rights to his estate because uh, he never bothered to change it. And now you've got a, an ex-wife who's got you know no love for this person who sadly passed away. And she gets a phone call out of the blue. Can you give us permission to license this song that your ex-husband co-wrote in 1971 with this other or the bass player that played on it that wasn't in the band that came in just to play on that thing? So these guys jump through hoops that the rest of us can't even imagine because when they present it, um, and their stuff tends to get used in some really big movies as well as a lot of regular TV stuff. Um, somebody, you know, Martin Scorsese needs a piece of authentic music for 1971 for that type of scene or, you know, that type of music, certainly. He needs to know that nobody's going to crawl out of the woodwork and go, aha, you use that song that I co-wrote and I didn't get any credit for it and I'm not getting any money from it, therefore I'm hitting you with a lawsuit. So it's a thing. Just know that we are running more and more listings from more and more companies for that stuff and sometimes they will ask for stuff that is either authentically vintage or you do a really good job of making it sound authentic to that you pretty much need to be an analog recording to work for that but yeah 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 uh, and honestly i've had the ceo of the aforementioned a plus company on stage with me at the rally and we did a thing where we would play music that was made to sound old by some taxi members that were masterful engineers and producers i got fooled i didn't know and I'm a retired engineer producer um, without sounding like a braggadocious a-hole. I've got pretty darn good ears, especially from 1971, because I was alive and active in that era. I was fooled. The owner of the company nailed it 100% of the time. They are so specialized at what they do. So watch out for both kinds of listings. But there, you just got the, the full tutorial on, on why that stuff, um, why they need music from certain eras. Um, and I got to tell you, so many of our members that are 40, 50, 60, 70, even 80 years old have music that they never even thought that there was a possibility for. Watch for those listings. You know, you may be doing instrumental dramedy stuff or orchestral whatever, you know, fantasy music all the time. And you don't even look at those vintage listings. You should be because many of the people in that chat room who are taxi members have music that you did, you know, a, a, a three song demo back in 1980, pitching yourself to a major record label because your first cousin was an A&R person at Capitol. So you spent the money, you went to a real studio, you recorded this stuff, the band broke up, you never got a deal, but you've got the tape. That stuff, 
and some of these companies pay like $500 per song to take ownership of the master and composition, but you keep the writer's share. So we've had taxi members that have had full collections of stuff at $500 a song, and they walked away with a ten or $15,000 check, and their stuff gets used in movies, which end up going on TV, and they get back end on that stuff. So yeah, we've never had anybody ever that said, I regret working with this company, or I regret that I did that deal. Um, here's one from Josette Gauthier. Uh, what's the best thing someone recording in a home studio can invest in? Well, you've got a pretty nice home studio. Mm -hmm. And if it's just buying professional studio time, that's fair too. I'm going to give you one quick short answer before Craig takes the ball and runs with it here, which is if you're buying professional studio time, you're spending more money per song or per track than you will likely ever make with that thing. Um that's a half hour explanation. But especially if you're doing film and TV, um, you don't want to go drop $2,000 in a studio recording something. Um, if you're pitching to Ariana Grande and it's the best song you've ever written in your lifetime, that may be an exception. But for film and TV stuff, no. So what's the best thing, Craig, that somebody with a home recording studio can invest in? Well, again, uh, there's no short answer for this, and I am uh, a, I'm a good engineer, but not an engineer by trait. Everything I've learned has been out of necessity. Obviously, it depends on what your area of expertise is, which is also something that gets overlooked in this chat and on on Taxi TV. Try to stick with what you're good at. I mean, mm -hmm. it's fun it's fun to challenge yourself with other areas, and I obviously encourage everybody to expand and broaden your horizons as much as possible. But when you're talking about investing hard-earned dollars into into a home studio, you have to make sure that your investment is is worthwhile. Um, so obviously, research a good DAW. Um, you know, the first thing you want to do is get your computer skills up and running with Pro Tools, Logic, Cubase, Reaper, Studio One, whatever the DAW is of this week. I'm sure there's a bunch. And a lot of them do the same thing. So there's not this huge difference between Pro Tools and everything else like there used to be. A lot of the DAWs do the same things. A lot of them have the same functions. Um, from there, a lot of the stuff can be done in the box. You know, we, we've been talking about Waves versus UA forever here in the office as far as plugins and preamps go. You don't really need to invest a lot in um, um, external, um, out-of-the-box. You know, you don't need an 1176, a Teletronics, a, a Neve preamp. You, you don't need all that stuff now. It's not going to get one more person excited watching that TV show no. or the movie. Even if you're pitching... To record stuff is it going to sell one more record no there is there's a floor it right. can't sound worse than the that's floor. right but you know making a set of, a small set of drums you need like 10 microphones you know um and that's probably overkill so you probably don't need 10 <laughs> I, I, I have i have 12 actually but um my point is is that just by my instrument alone i need a lot of microphones which can generate an expense that a lot of you don't have if most of you are just a singer or a guitar player or a singer songwriter one or two microphones and then a good way to get your um a to d into the box uh, analog to digital get your signal into the computer that's one place you don't want to cut corners spend spend the money on a good audio interface outside of 
DAW proficiency, which I still think is the most important thing. Get good yeah. at. Get good I would at, rather see you spend five hundred dollars on taking a great online course. I one hundred percent agree with that. To master your DAW. Yeah. And frankly, there's so many free ones that are out there now. Yeah, I don't even know well, if you need to pay. Yeah. All of our members they they referred me to some paid ones that some people have used, absolutely love. But that was also five years ago. There are a lot of them out there that are for free. Force yourself into a habit of every day you're going to carve out an hour to watch today's lesson yep. and tomorrow, tomorrow's lesson um, and become, look, we have, I, I just interviewed Matt Hurt, the first taxi member to ever break the, the $100,000 a year income level that I'm aware of. And he, so that interview is coming out in our newsletter at the end of this month. He has the most humble studio you've ever seen it's got like an 88 key keyboard nothing fancy and it's probably old um you know a not too fancy computer or not too fancy microphone but yet the guy has had thousands of placements and, and makes great money and has been doing this for like 25 years now very successfully why because he knows how to use his very basic gear very well buying a $2,000 keyboard is not going to get him one more placement. No. And again, I, you know, I have a lot of microphones, a lot of preamps, a lot of, uh, and a lot of the biggest placements I've done, like when I, I, I've been recording for Disney a lot recently on, on the drums and, um, you know, they don't know what I have in my studio. They don't care. I did not get one phone call. I bet you it's a Mickey Mouse setup. <laughs> it's <laughs> terrible. Terrible. Hold on. Hold on. Yeah. I'm sure there's a sound effect on. for that. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, so I would think drummers, you know, um, uh, good sounding gear is is the first thing for a drummer. Make sure your drums sound good. If you're if you're a guitar player, make sure your guitar is in tune. You know, if you're a singer, um, those shields are not expensive. Uh, the things the padded, that wrap around the, the yeah. padded things. And again, you know, if you're a singer, you you might want to spend the time and invest in a good four fourteen, but you don't you don't have to. There's other vocal mics that sound great. So, you know. A lot of the famous, a lot of the recordings that I've done for TV and film were done before the, I have a really strong setup now, but a lot of what you hear of me on TV and in film was done in my old, my old, from my old place in Northridge where I had a converted bedroom. So like a lot of the stuff that's on TV and film of me was done before I had the studio that I have now. So again, just back to what Michael's saying that all that outboard gear and stuff, you know, I, I'm not sure it's 100% necessary. You don't need twenty, thirty, fifty thousand dollars for a home setup. You know, a good laptop, a good interface, a good Apollo. I mean, I I love the Apollo. I can get into. I could do a whole taxi TV on gear and banter and stuff. But you know, a good A to D converter in your computer, some good knowledge of what you're doing. Make sure that your song is good. Understand compression and EQ. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if you understand compression. And EQ, you are fifty percent of the way there, right there. Then understand. Then next thing I would learn would be reverb decay times and the type of reverb you want. None of it is that hard, frankly. A recording console or a DAW is largely, if you think of it in the most simplistic way, it's like your stereo: <laughs> loud, soft, bass, mm -hmm. treble, left, right. <laughs> that, that's it. Times X number of channels reverb or delay and that's about it a lot of the discussion i see online not to interrupt uh, a lot of the discussion i see uh, uh regarding gear it, it's like 
It's so irrelevant. Like there, there, there'll be recording a vocal that's out of tune, a guitar that's played badly, right. a song that needs to be rewritten and rearranged, and they're worried about some fancy SSL plugin because it's got the mid-range EQ. And I'm like, you guys got to be kidding me. There's so many things wrong with this recording before that. Like get the big pieces in place. And uh, you are so right about that. You, know, you could not. And the other, another example of that type of thinking is members who don't get a forward. And if any of us listened to the song, we'd go, it's not bad, but the industry doesn't want not bad. You wouldn't, you, you know, you're buying a used car. Do you want one that's not bad? You're buying a house. Do you want one that's not bad? You're buying a TV set. Are you going to go buy the one that's not bad? You know, you want the best one that you can afford. So what the hell is that going to say? Oh, people will send in a song that's not bad. It's you know, it's got an intro and a verse and a chorus and a bridge. It, it, it's it's a song and the melody is kind of okay and the vocal delivery is pretty good. And they get really upset and say, but you don't understand so-and-so who engineered right. Nirvana. We get that a lot. Mixed my song. How can you not forward it? Well, that guy's mix is probably better than the actual song, but they're not looking for who mixed your song. They're looking for is this either in the record side of things, a hit song, or in film and TV, is it a song that fits a scene? Exactly. So there you go. It doesn't matter if Nirvana's person. I actually had that probably 15 years ago. Butch Vig mixed something for some taxi members. They were so upset that mm -hmm. uh, it didn't get forwarded. But yeah. the song was yeah. B-level at best. Mm-hmm. Um, Okay, yeah, for those of you asking the question in the chat, as soon as we get through these that were sent in by very responsible people before the show, we will get to the stuff in the chat, I promise. Um, how many guitars is a guitar player allowed to buy? Uh, oh, don't God. ever ask Keith LeBrant that question. Um, let's see if there's anything else on that list. Um, oh, here's a great one um, from Andrew Fluger. Uh, when it says virtual instruments are dated sounding, what programs and software don't sound that way? Or are there processing elements that need to be done to make them sound more current? I want to do a little bit, and then I'm going to hand this off to Craig because he's much better at that question than I am. But there are so many things that can make something sound dated. We have we get this all the time. I'm sure Craig will elaborate on this, that we get people who go out and buy a $1,000 string package. And go, but I used a thousand dollar string package, but you used it poorly. You, you, it, the articulations were non-existent. The, you know, it sounded like somebody's got a thirty-foot bow. I'm sorry, but a string player doesn't do. Uh, <laughs> unless they died mid-stroke. So, Craig, uh, can you advise Andrew Fluger? Um, what? What makes something, what makes samples sound dated? Okay. The, f the first thing you have to do is A-B it with whatever the references are. And in most of the cases, w when we say something's really dated, we're talking about a listing that requested current sounding pop or current sounding indie pop or current sounding hip hop. So the listing is going to dictate about 95% of what you need to generate those sounds. So I, I use a lot of sounds that are in the box, in Cubase, like Cubase-based sounds is, is what I use. But I treat them or EQ them, as you said, to sound very similar to what they would be in the reference. And you can get pretty close. Exact, no. 
you know, um, you can't. Um, so you're using stock sounds that I'm came using in Cubase just like people would in Logic or... Or in, in Pro Logic. Tools or in Reaper or in Studio One. I use the stock sounds and then I tweak them mostly via EQ. And then if you need to use like a, you know, a modulation effect or, or some sort of delay or something um, or some sort of filter, mm -hmm. there's a lot of stuff you can do to treat the sounds. Back to the string comment, uh, which was also, you know, we get that all the time. I can't believe my string sounded dated. I used East West or I used Spitfire. Or I used, and that's great. But um, if you played it like a keyboard player plays a keyboard patch, that's part of the problem right there. You have to approach it like a string player. Mm -hmm. And the other thing you can do too, and again, I've I've written emails about this, and I, I try to be concise. I know I'm long winded, but but I've made this mistake too. Um, which is how I'm able to share it. But it, especially for strings, don't just play the string patch all together at once. You know, record, if you've got Spitfire or East West or any of those powerful string programs that all sound great, um, record your violin separately, record, record your violas separately, your cello separately, your bass, then pan it like an orchestra, then go back and listen to each one. Did I use enough compression? Is there too much reverb on? A lot of times people put too much reverb on springs. Or, strings. Don't, or don't match the reverb. Right. They'll, they'll put a small room on, on the cello right. and, and a large concert hall on the violins, and it just sounds... And you have to be careful because a lot of those string samples come with reverb. So if the sample itself has reverb embedded, a lot of times you don't need to add more. Mm -hmm. You can just pan it appropriately and then maybe do some parallel compression on it or, or, or reverb um, for the group uh, instead of individually to help marry things a little bit. There's all sorts of treatment you can do to make even stock strings sound good. Um, so again, with the with the more powerful programs, yeah, that gives you a little bit of an advantage, but well-treated strings, I've heard strings that come right out of Logic that sound great. People that are just good at strings. Um, we have we have some screeners that are very good at it. I don't think, I don't know if I should say their names or not, but they're very good at orchestrating and making strings from ordinary ordinary DAWs. They just sound great because they know how to treat them. They, they record everything separately, they pan it, they address the compression, they address the decay time, mm -hmm. they approach it like string players would rather than a keyboard player just playing a keyboard patch. And it's easy to hear right. it when playing you're- Playing a, you know, a, a, a triad and holding it down for is not seconds. strings, right. you know, and it's they, yes, they were great sounding players, with right. great instruments in a great studio, great mic, great engineer, but you can make it sound like crap by yeah, and you, and you have to orchestrate it a little bit better. You have to think about like you're watching an orchestra, and and you have to, it just needs better treatment. You can't just hold down a string patch and go, oh, it's East West, you know, I paid a thousand dollars for this, I better get it forward. It doesn't, it doesn't work like that. First you're of all, you're off using a three hundred dollar thing and using it well. Yeah. Yeah. Dean Crepain talks about that in his books um, at some length. Uh, Dean is a longtime taxi member who wrote uh, two seminal books. Um, uh, I've got them sitting on the floor. Hang on, I'll be right back. It's the same thing about drums, though, uh, yeah. as far as strings. Uh, people ask me, what's the best drum program? Well, there's a lot of good ones. I used to use addictive drums. What's the one we were talking about the other day, Michael? Um, oh, uh... Easy drummer, easy and, drummer, yeah, and, uh, superior. Drummer. But it's the same. It's the same kind of thing. Um, just because you get the drum samples from somewhere doesn't mean that you're guaranteed a forwarder. These are modern because the sample pack came out in 2022. That doesn't mean anything. Again, there's all those reverb settings and compression settings. I mean, you can over compress something so that it looks like a brick. Then it's got no breath. Up oh, there's a plug for Dean's book. Yep, demystifying the cue, demystifying the genre. If you don't own these books, if you want to succeed in sync, excuse me, 
buy these books. Great investment. I, I literally, I would reimburse your 15 bucks on one of these books if you don't think I'm right. Um, they're amazingly good. As is Steve Barden's book, which I'd have to go back over there to get. Um, look, if, if Craig sat down on a uh, Sears and Roebuck Christmas drum set that you would buy for your kid for $99. He would make it sound better than me sitting down at a $20,000 top of the line DW kit. He's got the touch, he's got the feel, he's got the tuning, he's got all that. So it, it really is all about how well you use something. And if you become masterful on your $300 string sample pack um, and you've really got down the articulations and all that stuff, then sure um upgrade but it's more for you um the upgrade if you're already making it sound great for 300 bucks then the 700 dollars more you're going to spend on the thousand dollar sample pack is really for your own ego and satisfaction and gratification and to impress your friends which is all fine okay um Uh, this one, yeah, you know, this isn't so much about the taxi screening process and the kind of work that Craig does, but he is actually really good at answering this. Can you walk us through some of the preparatory registration work that should take place before and after a submission, like registering with a PRO, um, do you register a copyright, all that kind of stuff, um, IRSC or uh, what's that? Uh, yeah, um... I mean, a copyright, technically, you have that. As, as once you put it into a tangible form, technically, you have a copyright. But you if you want to be able to prove the data creation. Correct, yeah. If you want to mail it to yourself or do, go through no, the library. No, that doesn't work. Or you go, go through the Library of Congress, you could do that too, but that takes forever. Right. Uh, most of our members would tell you, and I'm not a lawyer, he ain't a lawyer. No. Um, the two of us together on our best day are not a no. lawyer. Not that I think that highly of many attorneys. But... My personal bias aside, I will tell you that many of our highly experienced members don't bother registering the copyright for their instrumental tracks with the Library of Congress because that little piece of instrumental music is not going to make you a quarter of a million dollars like a hit song might. So they treat those differently than if they're writing a song that they hope will be a hit for a major artist. As far as registering with a PRO, absolutely you should do that. You should have your writer's um, affiliation with, uh, you know, if you're in the U.S., BMI, ASCAP, or CSAC. Actually, CSAC you have to be invited to, right? You can't just sign they, up with They them, loosened right? up, and I heard that they're unloosening. <laughs> they're, okay. they're tightening things back up. But, um, again, before you upload a track, yes, definitely have your PRO together. Um, but... Again, with as uh, what we went through before, uh, how meticulous the listing was written. Make sure that you're uploading something that's worthwhile, so you don't waste your money and the screener's time. You know, we're we're kind of in this for you. We're here to try to forward your music. So before, just make sure that you read the deal points in the listing. So if you didn't mean to submit to a exclusive listing, don't submit to it because when the publisher calls you and goes, "Hey, uh, Michael, I love this dramedy track. I want to sign it in forever," and you go, "Oh, well, I just I thought this was non-exclusive." Well, then that's on you because you didn't read the listing properly. Um, so make sure you understand the the deal points before you submit to a listing because if the publisher calls you, I mean that's kind of the whole point of it. Afterwards, uh, when the publisher does call you, they're going to want your PRO, and we did a whole thing on your, uh, you know, your IPI number and making sure that's all correct. Um, that would be a good episode to watch for um, 
about having it together for when you get your track signed to a library. So after the library calls you, make sure you have all the information that they need. Make sure that you understand the deal points if you don't ask. Um, and, and also understand that a lot of these instrumental library contracts are similar. They're not exactly the same, but they're similar. So pick one and read it. Make sure you understand all the deal points. If you don't, you should ask a lawyer or Michael here can uh, enlighten you. But uh, I ain't no lawyer. No, I know, but you have you have an idea what the boilerplate publishing contracts look like, and um, you know, make sure you're well versed with that kind of thing so that you know. Go into the taxi forum. For those of you who don't use our forum, which can be found at forums with an S, forums.taxi.com, ask any one of our successful members, and they will all tell you that they love the forum. It is a living, breathing, constantly updated resource of just about everything you could possibly want to know about the music industry from creation to deals to contracts everything um, is in there with people that have been right where you're at going through the same things you're going through they have figured it out they have shared it um, and unlike any of the other forums music related forums that i've seen online these people are polite they're knowledgeable and they're incredibly helpful and generous with what they know. It's not like some of the gear forms where you go on there and it's like people talking out of their butts about, oh yeah, you got to have this kind of microphone, that kind of speaker. How many platinum records do they have on the wall? Right. None, but yeah. they have an opinion. And yeah. where did they form the opinion? From reading other people's opinions on that forum. So the taxi members speak from experience and like, uh, Tony Robbins, this toothy self-help guru who actually makes a lot of sense, says, look, anything you want to accomplish in life, somebody else has already accomplished it. How did they do it? Follow the path that they laid out right in front of you. And the forum is the best place. Jeff LaPlante, how are you, buddy? Um, we just started redoing the success story part of the taxi website. We format, reformatted the page different way and you're sitting at the top of what we just reformatted. So I just saw your lovely face this morning. Hey, Jeff. Um, one more question from the pre, you know, the ones that were submitted before the show and then we'll do the last half hour of the show on um, your questions from the chat room. What is the most, this is from Anthony Spinoza, and Anthony wants to know what the most common complaint is that you get about the screeners as the head screener at Taxi. Okay. Um, what is the most common complaint? Well, the most common complaint is why didn't you, why didn't screener 423 uh, forward my thing for this listing? It was perfect. Um, that's the most common complaint I get. Well, how come my music wasn't forwarded to this listing by this screener? And... Again, 97% of the time, the screeners are right. Um, and we know that because people won't believe us and they take the listing verbiage, take the a link to the song or track, and take the screener's critique and put it up on the forum and ask their fellow members. And like 97, 98% of the time, the public, the experienced public um, who are much like the person putting it up there, will say, got to say, the screener got it right. So. And I tell you what what jumped out at me too when we had the screener meeting a couple weeks ago. Yeah. It was a not a slap in the face to me, but a very bold reminder of how talented uh, some of those screeners really are. I was just looking at the uh, yeah. <laughs> somebody just said, "Well, my, I'm right in front of the mic. Right. That's why." Um, 
how ta- like the the talent pool of screeners that you have is pretty amazing. Like you've got some really amazing people that have done some cool stuff from Grammy winners, people that are orchestrating movies, working on trailers, people that exist purely off their back end that that live off of their their residual income. I mean, these are the people you want screening your music. They're the perfect people to comment on it. And we um, sh- we should mention that it's not just that they've got great creden- credentials. They're also selected because of their communicative nature yeah are they going to be a jerk when they tell you that this needs to be fixed are they gonna do they really care about you are they helpful and and they do i mean there is a a vibe of generosity and helpfulness that permeates this entire company uh and, and the screeners exemplify that we've seen people we've had people with great resumes who've been like vice president of a major label or a major publisher they didn't work out because they didn't have the right vibe yeah the, the screeners are all pretty articulate from what i see in their critiques and that's the first thing i'll do when somebody has a complaint again i i don't like the volume of complaints we get because i don't feel that it's always fair i don't i feel like sometimes the members just they get a return and then they email me and that's not fair like did you did you research what you submitted? Did you um, watch Taxi TV? I always point people to that. Did you go on the Taxi Forwards blog and check out what was forwarded? Now, again, that's not the key to the city. Like, if you read the Taxi Forwards blog, that's not going to make you a taxi member that's always going to get forwarded. Right. But it does let you know what our screeners thought were good forwards to a given listing. So our screeners thought these were good forwards to this listing. Do you think your submission belongs on that list? If it does, okay, that's one criteria that may be worth sending it to me. Did you um, get a custom critique? Did you, again, do your homework on Taxi TV? Did you visit the Taxi Forum? Did you do anything to make yourself as prepared as possible for this listing? If you did all those things and you've been a taxi member for a while um, and you really feel like your um, submission should have been forwarded and you really feel like the screener messed up, then then it's probably okay to, to give me a call but um, or drop me an email. But uh, for the most part, like Michael has said, like it's not a new thing. Like I've been saying, ninety-seven percent of the time the screeners are right. Do they make mistakes? Does something get by? Do, once in a while, yes. They're uh, human. This, this, you know, that's it's it's not being the screened. forward and return button is. We probably, talked about that. Yeah. And what did we do the math on? It's it's wrong three times out of a thousand or something. Is right. that what we came up with? We, I think we, you're right. We actually did the stat on that. Yes, they do make mistakes. But it's it's not even it's more than ninety more than ninety seven percent accurate. Um, it's like three out of a thousand was the yeah, actual wrong button. Three tenths of a percent, right? Of the yeah. So we actually thought should because when a screener's done, they click the forward or return button, <clears throat> and we thought about um, having a, a pop up on the screen that says, "Are you sure you want to forward this? Are you sure you want to return this?" <coughs> and, and when we actually did the math, it was three-tenths of one percent mm-hmm. of the time that they errantly yeah. click that button yeah. and when we did the math on how much time it would add to the screening process times the number of things that we screen in a year Forget it, it. It, it was it's gonna take time away from them screening um, because of the cumulative effect of getting that pop-up and having to click out of that and it would probably still they'd still make the same mistake. So just remember that. If you do get something where the screener writes in the little box, this is really great, I'm gonna forward it, and it comes up as a return, let you know, um, or, or let Craig know. But we actually sat down, took a sample, and um, three-tenths of 1% of the time they make that mistake. So 
I mean, it's it's not like we're Boeing putting uh, windows on the planes, right. putting the rivets in the doors. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, so there you go. All right, questions from the chat room. Please type the word question in. Vanderbo and Croteau are in the yeah, house. Yeah, how about that? Yeah. Two awesome taxi members. Just did a great interview with, with Matt Vanderbo, like, two weeks ago, a week ago, whatever, recently on Taxi TV. If you guys haven't seen that interview with Matt Vanderbo, who is, he's the most positive, hardworking person. Uh, you could learn so much from that. Anyway, okay, question. After we get feedback, or ooh, I got to scroll back up to this one. Things are going by too quickly. Uh, after we get feedback from a screener who liked it, but there was something off, like too long of a too long of needed more punch in the hook. How can we make sure after we fix it, it goes back to the same screener? It, it won't because you don't, years ago we did an experiment where we tried to let members fix stuff and resubmit for the same listing. You would be, maybe you wouldn't be, I was shocked at how people will screw that up. First of all, the fix won't be that much better. Second of all, they'll change other things that made it right that weren't required to be fixed. And thirdly, they would send it back three weeks later when that listing, that opportunity, that film was probably already yeah, on Netflix. But yeah, so it just didn't work out. The good news is make the change. We do, if you look at the um, taxi member success stories that you can find on the homepage of the website, the yellow button in the lower right-hand corner, you would be surprised how many of those people say, I learned so much from the screeners and I retweaked the thing and I submitted it for other listings. It got a forward, it got a deal, it got a placement. Happens all the time. I've gotten that email when they were kind enough to send that email. That's not an email I get very often, but I have gotten it and I wanted to save it and be like, wow, see, it does work. It absolutely works. Yeah. Uh, David Berube says, if a client wants, for example, a jazz cue recorded in the 50s with a sax solo, and we have a jazz recording from the 50s with no sax solo. Uh, can we record the sax over it and mix it? That's a great question. In 32 years of being at this company, nobody has ever asked that question. Honestly, David, it, it's going to vary from client to client. Um, you're talking about, you know, a company that's looking for vintage music. Um, some might say, you know, the people are really strict about it being 100% vintage might say, no, that takes it out of being vintage. Um, I don't have a great answer. What, I, I think it's going to vary by client. Yeah, it's going to vary by client. And it would, I tell you, if it was actually done in the 50s, they were recording with like one microphone in the back of the room back then. Right. So it's going to be really hard to make that blend properly. I'm not going to say it's impossible because, again, with, 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 digital capabilities and stuff now anything's possible and i would think that actually certainly would be possible but boy you'd have to be real careful with that mix i think huh yeah you know a technique i don't know if i've ever shared this with you guys but i had a client back when i was still engineering full-time um or at all um this guy loved overdubbing every aspect of a string section or a horn section. Everything was an overdub. Rather than bring, and we worked together in a big room that was like uh, 43 feet deep by 25 wide with very high ceilings, <clears throat> good sounding room. And this gentleman really preferred to bring in his charts 
and he would lay down the rhythm section. Then he would overdub the strings and, and he would do like, let's do violins. Okay, you guys go home. Now let's do violas. Now let's do the cello. Um, and it bothered me because I wanted everything to sound like it was in a room. There's some magic that happens when air moves in a room and things co-mingle and they sound a little out of tune or maybe the, the stroke of the violin isn't exactly the same in the whole section. So what I would do would be take microphones and put them in the room as if they were there for a whole setup and then each time I overdubbed part of the string section, I would open up those other mics as if those other players were in mm -hmm. the room to get that part of the room. And when you put it all together, it sounded great. So yeah, if you were going to overdub a sax on a vintage piece, um, Craig is right. You know, back then they probably in the 50s, they weren't even doing stereo yet, you know, so they probably had like a Neumann U47 tube mic that was hanging off a large boom somewhere in the middle of the room and then you know a, another mic on the singer who sang live to the track you could try and simulate but again you should really ask the client <clears throat> um there was one up a little higher i forget where it was uh, where did it go there it is right what there. percentage of submissions are actually forwarded oh i love answering this question uh, and what turn, what percentage turn out to create revenue for the submitters? Well, if our members were really responsible about telling us when they got stuff placed, we would know that, but they don't. And our clients don't either. The, the production music libraries, record labels, what have you, everybody's busy. You know, we live in an oversaturated world, over-communicated world. So everybody's busy. We just ran a contest with our clients, with our music library clients, that at the end, we actually did it about a week or so ago, um, for every client that told us about a placement they got with a taxi member, we cut up strips of paper, like they look like what you'd get in a fortune cookie, put them all in a box, mixed them up, pulled one out, and the company that submitted the one that got pulled out, the owner of the company got a $2,500 plane ticket to anywhere. And so we just did that, like, I guess a week or 10 days ago. Um, and one company actually very wisely sent us their quarterly uh, from BMI or ASCAP that had hundreds of placements. 650, I think. Right? With taxi members all yeah. over it. And so that, you know, 650 taxi members, not one of those people ever bothered to tell us about a placement. And I would venture to say that probably very few, if any of those 600, and that was just one company for one quarter. Right. I would venture to say that if just one, um, probably not even one of those people had ever made a penny in the in the sync industry, play, in film and TV placement before joining Taxi. You would think that they would be so thrilled and send us an email, wow, you made my dream come true. You've started me on the path to success, whatever. You guys don't. It's just the way it's always... And I can answer the first part of that. Okay. Uh, what uh, percentage of submissions are forwarded? Let's see. I'm curious to see what okay. your answer is. Well, I've done... I've screen, I've screened both and made the playlist. If everything is accurate, I, there was one list today. I forwarded 100% of what was submitted. How many submissions were there? Eight? Four. 
See, there you go. But the, he asked what percentage, not the numbers. But but he's going to take that hundred percent now and go tell everybody. Taxi line said they sub, that they um, and also zero. Form. I mean, right. there's also been there's th- no prescription. There's no prescript. There's no rhyme or reason to it. If if all the submissions fit the criteria, they're all forwarded. I've done that, um, and then I've received. You know, we've received some with no forwards, or there's been hundreds of submissions where nobody got it right. So there's no rhyme or reason. We've, we we will forward 100% if it's all right, and we will forward zero if none of it's right, and everything in between. There's right. no rhyme or reason. There's no pattern. We don't have a quota. We don't say, oh, uh, we can only forward five things to this listing. That's 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 not that's just not the way we roll. If you guys get it right, it gets forwarded. So Radio Human, I want to answer this question the way I answer. I do a monthly thing called the... Um, new member zoom where we invite anybody who signed up in the last 30 days to everybody i wish so many more uh, people would do that i answer all this stuff in the new member zoom and and, you know typically we get 20 people that show up for it when the you know it should be a couple hundred people and then people ask us the questions later it's like i want to be an a formula one race car driver but I'm not going to take advantage of a free lesson taught to me by the world's greatest Formula right. One race car driver because I'm watching something on Netflix tonight. I'm too busy. Anyway, to answer that question, there is no prescription. We don't tell the screeners find the best 10%, the best 5%, the best 50%. The most outrageous example I could think of is one time we ran a listing for instrumental percussion cues, percussion only. Everybody thinks they can do that, and frankly, a lot of people can do it really well. Not that hard. Um, by the way, the secret to that is don't overdo it. They're not looking for percussionists of the year. They're looking for usable tracks that don't get in the way of voiceover or dialogue. So we got in 800 submissions for that one, Little, probably a little over 800. 40% of them were on target and good enough, which is our criteria. So we had, let's say, 320 things to forward. Now imagine you're the client that says, hey, see if you can find me some, and they're expecting a handful. So now Tom had to reach out to the client and say, dude or dudette, want to let you know that we have 320 forwards. Let's round it down to 300 to make the math easy. So all that considered, we know you're not going to want to listen to 300 of them. How about if we send you 75 of them this week, 75 the following week, 75 the week after that, 75 the week after that. So you've got a manageable number and that way you can hear everything. And that's what we did. So that's an extreme example. 40% was a lot. We might get a a listing for um, German post-metal or post-rock metal songs with female vocals in the key of G. And, And we get eight submissions. Anybody who submits that is probably pretty darn good at doing German post-rock metal, you know, whatever I just made up off the top of my head. Um, And they're pretty serious about it. So we might, like in this case, forward 100%. Or maybe it's for dramedy cues and we forward 18%. There is no prescription. We also don't go back and when we're on item number or, you know, piece of music number 78, we don't go, oh, this might actually be better than the third thing I listened to three hours ago and go back and compare them. We don't have the time to do that in the criteria, which has worked since day number one, is quite simple. Is it on target for what they asked for? And is it good enough? And we don't go back and, and play this game of equivocating 
this one's better than that one. Nope. When the screener was in the moment, they thought it fit the requirements and was good enough. It gets forwarded. There you go. All right, let's find another one further down the list here. There must be thousands by now. Um, KP Bolden, uh, I just saw a photo of you, KP, from the Road Rally that's going to be in the next newsletter going out of you on the stage. Um, wow. No questions. A lot of comments. No questions. Come on, people. Type a question. What, you see one? Uh, what was that say? What type of listing was that? That was the percussion one you said, yeah. Oh, what type of Oh, yeah. I want to see new questions. Oh, uh, this is a good question uh, from Brad Gray. Hi, Brad. How are you? Which style slash listings does Taxi get the most submissions for? Um, and which styles and listings does Taxi get the least submissions for? Um, Brad, are you asking that question because People always want to know how many submissions. This is one of the things I talk about in the new member Zooms. How many submissions do you get? They want to know because they think it's competitive. So you may be asking this question, Brad, to find out, well, I'm going to go for a, a genre that they don't get many submissions in so that I can be a stand-up. But it's not comparative, so it doesn't matter if we get five submissions or 500 submissions. Your chances of getting forward are the same. That said, um, now that you know that, uh, Craig, would you please, I want to hear what you think are the styles, the genres. Well, you that, probably, you have access to the actual information. I just kind of have a guess. I, I'm I, curious to see what your guess is. My guess would be that country gets probably the largest amount of submissions. Um, I'm going to guess country, and then I'm going to guess my my choice. 1B would be the... Um, the Maybe the, the vintage ones. Let's say country and then vintage. Am I close? They um, got to be near the top. Those con two. Country definitely, um, and vintage depends. If it's a wide open vintage, like any kind of vintage, we'll get a lot for that. If it's vintage, you know, nineteen forty, like World War Two era, big band, we're not going to get because no, yeah, a lot of people hard. don't have that. Um, vintage singer-songwriter from 1974, you're going to get a lot of that because a lot of our members are of that age range, and mm -hmm. so they have it. So here, I just happen to have literally a stack of papers oh, there you go. next to me, and, and I put this underneath my turntable to clean off the desk so Craig could join me today. And this was from a time period in probably the last quarter of 2023. Um, I was asking Tom for some specific information um, on submissions. These numbers are going to surprise you, actually, so pay attention. Um, instrumentals, American Attention Instrumentals. How many, I'm curious to see, how many submissions would you think that we would get for Americana Tension Instrumentals? I'm a very even, popular genre, by the way. Americana or Tension? The fusion of the two. I've seen that a lot really? for Discovery, yeah. Um Yes, I've seen that uh, a lot on, I've heard it a lot on TV, and I've seen the request go out a bunch. Yep. Okay, so 128, 31. Wow, new genre to write for. Wow, that's, 
That's been popular for a while, American Around Tai Chi. All right, so you guys aren't that far off. Edmund Red was a little high. That's the um, closest. Yeah, yeah, Keith Sumner was close. Um, 34 submissions. I'm just going to go down this list really quickly. Um, and this was actually a very slow quarter for us. Um, so Americana Attention Instros, 34 subs. Happy Commercial Instrumental Cues, 143. Jazz Flute Instrumentals, 44. EDM Summer Chill Instrumentals, 47 submissions. Jazzy Sax Beats, uh, 58 subs. Uplifting Inspirational Instrumental Cues, 98, because that was broad in general. Um, action Percussion Instrumental Cues, 48. I would have thought that would have brought in a lot more. <clears throat> uh, dramatic Trailer Orchestral Hybrid Instros, uh, 81 subs. Techno Instrumentals for Film, 57 subs. Tribal World Influenced Alt Pop. What the hell is that? Tribal World Influenced. Okay, so basically Alt Pop Instrumentals that have some tribal or world influence. Got it. 29 submissions. Now we're moving into songs. Hit Worthy Country Songs. How many submissions would you guess come in for a hit worthy country song request we can, we have we are doing no they're not monthly these are four particular listings joe smith okay so these are the guesses for a country right 658 400 297 350 100 250 150 yeah so this one's a slightly little bit of an outlier um Yes, KP, you need to be accepted to join. Matt will do that in the morning when he gets in. Um, Hitworthy country songs, probably for a huge artist. We've got 479 one, submissions. One billion. One billion. Yeah, we wish. Um, positive high energy indie rock songs, 91. Pop songs with positive upbeat vocals, 10. Like, why were you guys asleep at the wheel on that? Only 10 submissions? For pop songs with positive and upbeat vocals, I'm sure that that was for a company that gets a lot of stuff placed in TV commercials that pay much better than your average TV placement. And yet we got 10 submissions. I literally had dinner a couple of weeks ago with some one of our clients and the client said to me, I cannot believe how few people I get lately from the forwards from taxi. And I said, that's because fewer and fewer people are submitting. A lot of it, I think, is the economy. So people are thinking really carefully, can I afford to spend $20 this week on submissions? I get it. We all get it. Um, fun, high energy pop rock songs. Again, that's probably for TV commercials. A lot of times when they ask for fun, high energy, positive, upbeat, emotionally upbeat, those are all things that people in the world of TV commercials are looking for, 109 submissions. I had dinner with somebody the other day that was telling me um, that a lot of their placements for commercials bring in between 50 and as high as one exception, 175K Jeez. for one creative fee, for one commercial. And yet we get 10 submissions. Yeah. And, and you know, a lot of times they don't want to disclose um, what the creative fees are for, they just don't. They're, they're, you know, we're grateful that we got the listing. Sometimes they don't want to let us know. We wish they would. Um, rock flute songs, 
18 submissions. Dark, slow-building song for film, like Retro Rock, 134 submissions. Dubstep-influenced pop house songs, 25 submissions. Mainstream rock songs, 93 submissions. Pop singer-songwriter ballads, 145 submissions. So there you go. Those are actual numbers, but I will tell you that they were lower than normal. It was just a slow quarter last year. Um, the economy was kicking everybody's butt, and people were worried about where they're going to get money for Christmas presents, so they weren't spending money on submissions. I will also tell you, and Craig, feel free to discredit this if you think that I'm exaggerating in any way, shape, or form. We are getting better listings. Um, Tom's department, Tom in particular, who reached out, brings in a lot of those listings. Eric also does that. Better listings than we've ever, ever had in the company's history. And it's heartbreaking us to us to see how many amazing listings get so few submissions and get so few forwards. A lot of it is caused by Taxi has done such a great job over many years that so many of our members are now signed to a library or two or three or four. And they are working directly with those companies because that's the deal. You get a relationship and you can submit directly to them. So they don't even bother looking at the listings. What they don't realize is they're missing a bunch of killer opportunities because they're being myopic and only looking at what's in front of their nose right now. Well, if I submit this library, I know the dude and I don't have to go through a screener. Um, there's truth in that, but would you rather have a song placed in a TV show that makes you, you know, $876, or would you rather have a shot at a $50,000 commercial? You can do both. Yeah, and I can expand on that too. Um, again, uh, I, I would strongly recommend, you know, if you're with one library, that's, that's great. That's fantastic. If you're with two libraries, that's even better. But there's never any harm in expanding the roster of libraries or music supervisors or publishers that you supply music to. A lot of the libraries that I write for do all different things. I have one that specializes in music, background music for reality television, one that does a lot of shows, uh, scripted shows on cable, one that's just breaking into advertising. Sorry, am I tapping again? Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm Italian. I have to talk with my hands. I got to, I got to. Holly, watch it. You'll get canceled for that. <laughs> oh, I got So, uh, Again, try to expand the amount of places you you send things to. Um, it, it, there's no, there's nothing bad that's going to come out of it. It, it. You know, stretch yourself a little bit. Again, you know, make sure you what you're doing is good. But there's no harm in expanding the roster of music, uh, the roster of clients that you have that you can send music to. You know, I don't, I don't see what for five dollars you might be able to, you know, get a new publisher. Um, that's going to request a CD from you. And if that publisher specializes in supplying music to Pepsi or to soda commercials or to Gatorade and they want... Or even just a regular TV show on a regular whatever. basis. It's I mean, an it income It costs you $5 stream. to submit for a $50,000 sync fee. I would take that bet every day of the week, you know? Yep. So um, We also... Uh, I just interviewed... Excuse me, Matt Hurt, who was probably the first taxi member to make a six-figure income. He's well-known. He's kind of the godfather of the generous, helpful vibe of our members at the Road Rally and on the forum. Matt was the first guy to really figure it out in a big way and shared everything he knew. He's now living back in Switzerland, but yesterday morning I interviewed him for about an hour and 15 minutes. The interview's coming out in our newsletter at the end of the month, and 
the reason I interviewed him is he is the king of the hill in doing ethnic music. Um, libraries need Chinese music with Chinese vocals. And our members look at these and go, I can't do that. Neither could Matt Hurt when he started out. I need French music, French cafe music that sounds authentic um, because there's a scene in the movie, French Bistro. Uh, I'm just going to do another dramedy track because I've learned how to do that and <coughs> yeah. the libraries want yeah, dramedy. Don't limit yourself, yeah. But you know what? Would you rather be one of 72 dramedy tracks in a library? And they do request dramedy or editors use it in reality shows all the time. Or would you rather be that person that's got eight tracks in Chinese, authentic Chinese music and 11 tracks in French cafe music I'm not going to sit here and just keep going through the numbers, but you get the idea. So while the French cafe music might not get requested as often, you're going to own that genre in that library because so few people do it and do it well. And um, so make sure that you watch that video that will be coming out probably on the 27th or 28th of this month in the taxi transmitter in the passenger profile section. Matt Hurt has built uh, Egyptian. Yes, absolutely. I was on the phone with somebody in the Middle East the other day who, who ironically has a library in the Middle East but uses Taxi's members to get most of the Middle Eastern music for their library because the people in the Middle East don't understand the library business and they wouldn't even know what the word submission means or understand how film and TV music works. So, yeah, I'm telling you, our members are missing the boat big time on these listings. Will you get it right the first time? Maybe not. Maybe even probably not. But by the third, fourth, or fifth time, I would invest a lot of time in learning how to do that because Matt Hurt is the only member I've seen that's ever really nailed that thing, and there are plenty of room for others. <clears throat> Um, will Craig end this taxi TV with the best drum table solo? Maybe. I feel uh, he wants to do it. No, he KJC has a question. I post Q's and A's on Taxi Forum quite a bit, but get very little response. Where are all these great forum members who are supposed to be so helpful? Suggestions? It's been frustrating. It depends on the questions. Um, I've seen people post questions that don't get a lot of answers because... The questions are hard to understand. Um, I, I, without looking at the questions, honestly, KJC, I couldn't give you great advice. All I can tell you is people swear by that form. You're not going to get 115 answers. You're going to get two, three, or four, or five answers, but you may be asking questions that people look at and go, huh, what? Um, just maybe. I'm not sure. Um Any other questions? We've only got, oh no, we're technically done with this show. Oh, we're out of time. Uh, Marion says, I've seen listings for Egyptian, North African, Turkish. Yeah, you know, you guys are missing the boat on those. Um, okay, so Christy Klein says, cool, I did an entire CD of Egyptian harp dreams. Here's the interesting thing, is when you've got a whole CD of finished stuff like that and somebody runs a listing looking for Egyptian music, um, your stuff is etched in stone and you're not doing what they may really need. So it's funny, there was a, a person who has a YouTube channel that uh, is in our ballpark of, of sync music advice. 
And for the longest time, I, I thought highly of this person, respected his advice. Then one day, um, he said something, he started pushing on a regular basis, do full albums, do full albums, meaning full albums of instrumental music. The libraries all want full albums. Um, but you do a full album, you put, you know, a month or two into it and you hand them the full album and they go, well, I like track number one. Track two is a little long and doesn't have this instrument. Track three just doesn't resonate for me. Track four is pretty good. If you change this and that, it would work. By the time it's all said and done, you're scratching your head going, but the guy told me do full albums. The way Taxi treats that with our industry clients is when they say, I need a full album of this stuff, run a listing, find the best three composers that we send over to you, whether it's one, two, three, five, whatever number, and then reach out to those people and say, okay, I need tracks like this. Give them an exact prescription so the library is getting exactly what they need and the members aren't making full albums that they've just wasted time creating stuff that nobody wants. Uh, Art wants to know, how can I request some clarity on a critique that leaves me scratching my head? Put it in the forum, but again, if you AB it with the uh, with the forwards blog, and if you think there's a mistake, you can send it to me. Right. Headscreener at taxi.com. Um, oh, would you like his home address? Oh, jeez. <laughs> That's all we need. Uh, I just saw another question. We'll go a few minutes long in this. Now you guys are waking up. Yeah, now up. they're now yeah. They're Oh, it's now, over. It's yeah, like, show up late for the got show. two minutes left. Here's 10 more questions. No, we're two minutes over. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, show up late for the show and then ask questions when the show's over. Oh, musicians, come on, people. Um, here's one from Pete Carroll Music. Do all subs have to be mastered? Can a track be mastered later? If a track is successful, required by a client. There are a lot of opinions on whether or not stuff has to be mastered, but you know what? Healthy levels use some compression so that your levels are healthy and not hitting the red a lot. You know, I'm a little peek into the red. That, depending on the type of music and the dynamics of it, might be okay. But you want a good, healthy level. If you've got a waveform that looks like an earthworm on a rainy day crawling on a sidewalk, not good. Um, if it looks like a comb that you pulled out of your medicine cabinet, also probably a brick wall, that makes it hard for editors to see where the edit points are. Somewhere in the middle of a waveform is usually pretty good. Um, and compression is your friend to help you get there. All mastering is really is just some compression, maybe a little limiting and EQ. Um, maybe when you mix a thing, you thought it had plenty of bottom end. Now listening back to it a week later, you go, ugh, it doesn't have quite enough bottom end. You could go in and remix it, or you could add on your mastering thing just a little bit of bottom end. But that's what it is. It's just salt and pepper on a really good dish anyway. So it's not an absolute requirement. Uh, and some libraries don't want stuff mastered. Some do. Ask them. When they reach out to you and say, I like this piece, I'd like to include it in my catalog, you look at the contract, you like the terms, that's the point where you say, do you require, not do you want me to master this? That opens the door a little wide for them. Say, do you require mastering? And they'll say, eh, let me have a list. Now, this sounds fine the way it is. Or, you know what? Yeah, your level's a little low. Could you run it through a mastering protocol? Um, Omnis, not Omnisphere. What's the one? Is it Omnisphere? Ozone. The ozone. mastering plugin, oh, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Ozone. Uh, 
Um, I knew it started with an O. I got yeah. that part right. Um, Ted Lynn, how do I prepare for a placement? How do they get the files from me? You go to your taxi, your taxi homepage and click upload. So you pick the listing that you want to submit to, and then you go to another list and you pick the piece of music you want to submit and you click the submit button. That's it. Pretty easy. You can also call our staff at 818-222-2464 or email them at memberservices at taxi.com and they will help step you through it the first couple of times to get you used to it. But it's really simple. Um, Oh, that was my stomach making that noise. Must be time to go. Uh, okay. Uh, don't understand that one. Anyway, I think we're about wrapped up. Um, good to have you here. Thank yeah. you for coming back. Craig had this already left for the day to go get his, his daughter and uh, yeah. came back to do it. Uh, I hope this was helpful. Um you guys, we are here for you. We work so hard, harder than you would ever imagine to try and make it easy for you, productive for you. We want everybody, all of our members, to have a shot. Uh, we don't sell dreams. We actually work really hard to make your dreams come true. So there you go. Great uh, joint, or having you here. And I think next week's show, um, please pay attention to your emails. I think next week might be the week that I do a Q&A, whether it's on Zoom or I do it like this, um, to propose a couple of new, pretty important things that we're thinking about rolling out for our clients that will make life better for them and for you. So please join me. Craig, thank you for joining me for the show today. Yeah, good show. With that, I bid you a fond farewell. Bye-bye. Hasta la bagel. Bye.